Are y'all okay? You're not acting that way. So anyways, I think we're in a time where the Lord wants to answer your prayers. Amen. So I'm just going to take a minute here, and I want you to think about your most important thing that you're asking the Lord to do for you. It doesn't matter what it is. The most important thing can be really spiritual, or it can be just something simple and natural. And I want to let's just take this moment and ask the Lord, just ask Him to do that thing for you. And if, if it's not something that He desires to do for you, He'll speak to you about it. He might tell you uh, maybe that's for tomorrow or it may be something for now. And so, Father, we just acknowledge your presence and we acknowledge that you, Christ, has opened heaven for us already. And this morning you're making that real clear. And I do believe you want to answer some prayers. I believe there's an anointing for prayer. There's an anointing for intercession coming on your people, Lord, and that you're going to answer prayer. And so we lift our prayers to you right now in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us that name that we can approach the throne anytime with. You know, the Bible tells us in, in Matthew chapter 7, I think beginning in verse 8, uh, part of the <clears throat> Jesus is talking about prayer, and, and it literally says this, those who keep asking will receive. Those who keep asking, those who keep seeking will find. Those who keep knocking, the door will be open to them. And so it was an encouragement from, the, from Jesus to be persistent in our prayer. And there's a lot of examples of that. And I, in several, there's a couple of times, I know in Colossians and Ephesians, where Paul's praying for the church, and he says these words, I keep asking. In other words, he didn't pray one time, you know, it's done, I'm moving on. No, he, there's a persistence. Now, there may be a time when the Lord says, okay, it's done. You'll know it. You'll feel the burden release off in you for that thing, and then you can move on. But if you don't feel the burden and if you don't see the answer, I believe it's very appropriate that we just keep pursuing, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. And G, and I've quoted this because this has been one of my favorite verses in the last several months. Matthew seven eleven is if you be if you and that's at the end of the keep asking part. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? To those who ask Him, how much more will He do it? And when we begin to keep, when we begin to believe those words of Jesus, we can begin to see a manifestation of our prayers answered. Because God has a lot of, my ascetic, goodness and mercy is following us. It's looking for a way into our life. And if we will invite it into our life, and also goes, I love the last part of that, it says, says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, meaning I will dwell in his presence forever. That means starting today. Starting right now, we can be in the presence of the Lord. We begin to declare those things, and they'll begin to happen. Amen. Well, that wasn't what I was planning on sharing, but I did. Amen? Okay, so I'm going to read this uh, to Revelation chapter 2. I've been going through these Revelation uh, seeking answers from the Lord, counsel from the Lord. And have it like the, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. And he, had, and he gave amazing counsel to the seven churches in chapter 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. And so this is the, the second church. Uh, uh, and I'm going to read just a, the three verses here, four verses. It says, To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Isn't that a beautiful thing? He was, but he is alive. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are, are about to suffer. Everybody say suffer. Well, that sounded really enthusiastic. <laughs> I don't blame you. I'm not enthused about this. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Notice that the devil is still around. Okay? The devil, although defeated, is still around, y'all. And here he was at work in this church 50-something years after Jesus went to heaven. 
Although we know the devil's defeated, we know that there's a real devil and he's alive and he's active and he's working against us and he obviously has some level of power, okay, that he's able to use because he was putting people in prison, okay? That you may you be that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. That's pretty serious, right? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So of the seven, uh, of the seven cities in Revelation, Smyrna this is the only city that still stands today. It's, a, it's called Izmir, and it's a big, beautiful city, and there's ruins right outside the city. All the other cities, Ephesus, all them, there's nothing but ruins there. there don't, there's no city left. And this is one of the few places that there's really a real active church that exists today. Think about it. Ephesus, the major city, there's not a church there anymore. The book of Ephesians, one of the greatest you know, books in the Bible. We talked about that, the power that that church had, the amazingness. But they don't exist. There's no church there. But here's a church that there is, there's still a church there. There's still, still people and it's only, there's only two of the, out of the seven churches that Jesus did not admonish. He admonished all, but all the other five, he, did, he admonished them. But this was this in the church of Philadelphia, he had no admonishment for. Absolutely no admonishment. He had nothing negative to say about this church. Okay, let me read my little paragraph that I'm going to give Tony Baker this afternoon. <laughs> Tony keeps me straight. This is what he puts on the website, but I, I'm reading it because it's helpful for me. This is sort of a summary. Smyrna was considered the most beautiful city in the Roman Empire. It had a pleasant climate, a city known for its culture. The arts, theater, and sports thrived there. But there was a profound spiritual darkness in that city. The followers of Christ were afflicted, dirt poor, and slandered because Christianity was illegal. Starvation, loss of property, and homes was a real possibility. Many believers endured torture and some death. It was stifling and even crushing for the church there. That's the church that Jesus was address, addressing there. Although the other six churches had some level of persecution, this is the one that had the most persecution because it was the center of Roman emperor worship. That was where the temple for emperor worship was located, and the people in that city were absolutely rabid worshipers of, of, of the Caesar. You could not, uh, once a year, the people, everybody had to come and acknowledge Caesar as Lord, had to vocally speak that, and they would be given a certificate, okay, to carry with them. And that certificate gave them the ability to basically function in society, to basically to live, to buy, to sell, to own. And if a Roman soldier or a Roman official stopped you on the streets and asked for that certificate if, and you did not have it on you, they could kill you right there on the spot. They could stab you or, you know, whatever, however they kill people. Literally, that was the situation these people were, were living under. Now, I'm going to take just a little bit of diversion right here and, and because I'm talking about Christian persecution and suffering. Isn't that such a glorious thought? But friends, we need to think about this. This is something that's real. This is something that's happening in, in the world today. Okay? And we think we have persecution because somebody tells us to wear a mask in a store. That's insanity. We, we, we need to grow up and we need to wake up. Now, I'm going to give you some things. I don't like wearing masks anywhere. I will do anything I can to weasel out of it if I can. But this, that's not persecution. Okay? Uh, these are some, some facts uh, out of the, uh, there's a couple of major organizations that, that give, talk a lot about their, their focus is Christian persecution. I'm reading what they said. Christian suffering and persecution is one of the biggest human right issues of this era. While Christian persecution takes many forms, it is defined as any hostility experienced, listen to this, experienced because of identification with Jesus Christ. Identification with Jesus Christ. In just the last year, there have been over 300, there's 340 million Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. 340 million people. 
One in Christians worldwide experienced high levels of persecution. One in eight. 4,761 people were killed for their faith in Christ last year, in the last, in 2021. That'd be this year. 4,488 churches were attacked. Church facilities were attacked. And 4,277 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned in this last year. Now, that's really what's going on in our world today. And it's not just what happened at Smyrna. It's what's happening in the world today. And, and see, these statistics I just read to you, according to these, these organizations, persecution for believers is on the increase. It's on the increase. It's not on the decrease. And, that is, and, those, and those statistics, by the way, are, are very low because who knows what's really happening. Probably many of you don't realize what's going on in Mozambique right now. Probably have never heard of it because it's never on the news. But I watched an uh, a interview with Randy Clark interviewing Heidi Baker. And literally, their churches, entire villages have been burnt to the ground. Pastors, listen y'all, pastors, four-year-old children with their heads chopped off. Pastors coming in weeping because as they, as they were coming into to the main, where Heidi and them were at because of all the dead believers strung out on the roads. And it's uh, uh, ISIS and another uh, terrorist organization that has really basically shut their ministry down. I've never seen Heidi Baker, you know, because Heidi, I don't know if y'all are familiar with Heidi Baker. She has an amazing apostolic ministry in Mozambique started thousands and thousands of churches many many miracles blind eyes open now a lot of those people are being killed a lot of those churches burned out you'll never see it on the news because it really doesn't matter because they're Christians and so it's in a very oppressive thing that's going on in the world today isn't this an exciting message (laughs) yeah but I do think it's something, as Randy Clark said, this is something the church, especially the, the charismatic church, needs to hear. In fact, he said at the end of the interview, is he said this, he, you know, Randy Clark's famous for the Toronto Blessing. Many of y'all love that, or, and some of you hate it, but I'm a lover of it, by the way, just in case, you know. But he said this is suffering is just as much as the Toronto, about the Toronto Blessing as the blessings, as the miracles, as all the other things. He says, suffering is just as much part of what God's doing. You know, I, I realize that as we as believers, we don't buy into suffering as Americans. But the Bible really has a lot to say about suffering. A whole lot. This is not really turning out to be such a real stand up and shout message. <laughs> let, me go, let me go on and give you a few more little things here. And then I want to really focus in on suffering. I want to give you some thoughts out of these verses here. First, the description that Christ gave to the church that was on the verge of absolutely being destroyed by the synagogue of Satan and by the Gentiles is that he is the first and last. He's the one who died and came alive. I think that's beautiful. He wanted them. Listen, he, I mentioned this earlier that Christ is a very empathetic person. He's not just compassionate. Compassionate is about power and about miracles, but he's very empathy is about relationships. That's what empathy is. Empathy gives you power in relationships. Compassion is is about the power to deliver, the power to heal. Okay, Christ is both. He's and so he was saying to them, "I've walked where you walk. I've walked in the darkness. I've walked in the slander. I've walked in the rejection, and I have been tortured, and I died and came back." That's how he wanted that church to know him. In other words, hint, hint, you're not going to get out of this. Hint, hint, I'm not. I'm, I'm being empathetic, but my compassion is not going to get you out of this. My compassion is not going to deliver you from this suffering. Or, and that's a hard word, but it but and for but for them there was comfort, and and that somebody could come to them, mainly the Lord Jesus Himself, and tell them, "I know where you're at. I understand your pain. I understand your suffering. I understand your sorrow, and I'm with you in it." And see, that's that's power for us. And I believe every person in this room we need because we're all going to suffer, and we need to know the Lord like that. We need to know. 
that he was a man of many sorrows and much pain and much torture he went through. Are, are you with me? Jesus literally entered into humanity's darkness. He entered into our darkness and, and to the point where he absolutely felt forsaken by God. He said that on the cross. It wasn't that God forsook him. It was because he entered into the darkness of humanity and he saw God as humanity sees him. And humanity sees God when we're in our worst state as forsaken us. But it's not true because God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You hear what I'm telling you this morning. This is really important that we need to get this kind of stuff. Anyways, uh, the church in this city struggled against, I've already mentioned, two hostile forces. One was, was a Jewish synagogue. Okay, and here, here's the reason the, these Jews were so adamantly against these Christians because they had an exemption about this worship of Caesar because they had an influence. Okay, they were influential people and they had influenced Rome not to make them give allegiance to Caesar. But this church, these believers over here, was, was creating conflict for them. They, they were afraid, this is according to history, that the church was going to cause them to lose their exemption. Therefore, they went after them. You see what I'm saying? They went after them, along with the Romans. The, that's, that's crazy. But Jesus did make it clear it wasn't, just, it wasn't really the Jews or the Romans. It was the devil behind all of it. The, the prince of the power of the air. The course of this world. Is what Paul calls it in Ephesians chapter 2. He's the person behind this person. He's the person causing all this. And he also said, there's, you know, uh, there's some of you going to be thrown in jail for 10 days. Lots of uh, conversations are around what that means. But really, this is what I believe it means. Is that what they would do is they would imprison a person for 10 days. And torture them for 10 days to get them to renounce Christ. And if they did not renounce him after 10 days, they would kill him. Now, that's, that's what he's talking about. And, and really, a, a very famous uh, person called Polycarp. Everybody heard of Polycarp? <laughs> I love that name. <laughs> Polycarp. Like, okay. Literally, a disciple of John the Beloved, placed as the bishop, was one of the ones that was killed later. He was 80-something years old. 80-something-year-old man. And they tried to get him to renounce Christ. And he said, go ahead and light the fire. That's what he told them. They had him at the stake. He said, light it. Light it. It's only going to hurt me for a little bit. And there's all kinds of story about this. But, you know, that word literally came true. He said, some of you will be. But the Lord gave him two promises. Uh, he says, number one, a crown of life. He said, I'm going to give you a crown of life if you, if you can make it. And that crown was not a crown. It was not a crown of royalty. It was the victor's crown. It was what they gave the... The Olympians of those days, they got a, a, a garland on their head. He said, you're going to get this victorious, victorious crown if, you will, if you'll remain faithful to the end. You will be a literal victor. You will have the victory. It's what he was promising them. You may not have the victory in this world, but you will have the ultimate victory, the one that really counts. And he also said, you're going to be protected from the, from the second death. Y'all know what the second death is? You know what? The, it's a bad place. You don't want to go. I think it's Revelation 19. It calls it the lake of fire. And he said, you're going to be protected from that lake of fire. The lake of fire has is, is been established for the devil. And, and, I, and it says, it's in everybody whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what the lake of fire is all about. And Jesus was promising these people, you'll never have to worry about that. Now, all that is in the, in the next life. None of that is, has to do with, if, with feeding your children tomorrow. None of it does. Or feeding yourself tomorrow. Or worrying about if your spouse, like this one woman, one pastor Heidi was talking to, had, been, had lost his four-year-old son, found his four-year-old son with his hands and head cut off. Well, where's your wife? Well, she ran the other direction. I haven't seen her since. Because they, the, the terrorists came in the village and they took off, everybody took off running. And so, you know, that's, that's persecution, y'all. More than likely, his wife's dead, along with his baby. He had to bury his baby. had to find, had to look for his baby's body parts. Four-year-old, can you imagine that? Think about, I, mean, I think about my little granddaughter, Eliza. She's four years old. I couldn't imagine that. 
were these people renouncing the Lord? No, they were broken. They were weeping. But they were totally in their hearts committed to keeping on going on with Jesus. Totally, 100%. In fact, more. But, but, but tore up at the same time. So, anyways, let me give you a couple more little things here. This is so exciting, isn't it? Well, I'm, who said yeah? Raise your hand. I'm going to give you some kind of star later, Tony. It's hard, y'all. This is hard. Well, the church at, I call this message the church at Myrrh uh, because the Greek word for Smyrna is Myrrh, okay? And uh, one of the things about Myrrh is it has to be crushed for its fragrance to be released. And so this was really literally a crushed people, a crushed church. Here, here's some things about Myrrh that, that will maybe speak to your heart. Myrrh speaks of bitterness and pain. Myrrh has its roots in the Hebrew word mara, which means bitter. It's the only one of three gifts that was given to Jesus at the beginning of his life, and it was also given to Jesus at the end of life as he was dying on the cross because apparently a myrrh has some kind of sedative thing with it. They gave, you know, offered him the, the wine mixed with myrrh to ease his pain. Some people actually say that was Jesus' last temptation is to not take something to covered the pain that he was suffering with on the cross. That myrrh was his letter, literally his last temptation. Myrrh was associated with death. It was a vital part of burial in the ancient world. The Egyptians used it in their embalming. The Jewish culture used it uh, to, because it had a, such a, a wonderful smell. They, would, they didn't embalm, but they would cover people with this myrrh because of the, to keep the stench of death off of them. Uh, Jesus himself was... Uh, it says in uh, John 19 that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took a took aloe and myrrh and covered Jesus's body with a a sheet that was wrapped in that was soaked in those those uh, spices. Isn't that something? More than likely, that myrrh came from Smyrna. Both of them did. A myrrh is a part of the anointing. Dean mentioned this uh, anointing oil. Uh, in Exodus 30, it was one of the main ingredients in the anointing oil. Uh, anybody want an anointing today? How many people want an anointing from the Holy Spirit? Well, there's something about this suffering. There's something about pain. There's something about bitterness that's associated with the anointing that you're going to have to go through if you're going to have a true anointing on your life. There is something that's going to cause you heartache and brokenness Okay, for that anointing to really happen in your I mean, that's just the truth, y'all. And we can have an American version of Christianity that, that will absolutely argue against that all day, but it's not the biblical version of Christianity. It's really not. And so everybody who wants an anointing, really, you're signing up for some trouble. You're signing up for some heartbreak and some difficulty and pain. I, I can promise you that. That was really fun, too. This is really a fun message. Y'all, mm, Lord help. This ain't Byron Wickers. I didn't, in fact, I didn't even want to do this. I was jumping over this, this one. I was going to another one that I actually wanted to do really bad. And then I thought, I better not do that. Uh, it's myrrh is a, is a, is a, was used in preparation. Uh, Esther. Remember, everybody know the book of Esther. Esther, the beautiful woman. Spent a year being prepared, and part of her preparation to see the king is they anointed her daily with myrrh. Isn't that something? It was a beauty treatment, in other words, to make her beautiful and smell good. So when she went to the king, so that happened, they did that in a year. So it's also something that that should speak to us about us entering into the presence of our king. Amen? Uh, And so here's the church that we could call the church of myrrh. It needs, in a sense, in a sense, it needs to be prepared and it needs to be anointed for the death that they were fixing to go through, because Jesus did not promise them He was going to deliver them out of the hands of their persecutors. Okay, He just said, if you if you stay faithful to Me to the end, your life hereafter will be wonderful. You will be protected. You'll be blessed. That's the promise that He made to this church. I think we need to let that sink in a little bit. So, I want to talk to you a little bit about reconciling suffering because I think it's something we have to reconcile in our life. I don't know about you, but I don't, I've, had a, I've struggled in my life with suffering, okay? 
I think we all have. I mean, I think, duh, suffering, the word suffering is, is a struggle. We don't like to, to talk about this kind of thing. We don't like to, to experience this kind of thing. And when we see suffering, we have questions. We have, we have issues with it as believers. There's something that's, that's counter to us. Um, although the Bible's really clear on it. The Bible really doesn't whitewash the fact that we're going to suffer. It, there's no whitewash in the Bible. The Bible pretty much, the New Testament pretty much promises us suffering. I mean, we're pretty much promised that we're going to suffer. If you've never suffered in your life, I think you, we're, we're missing out on some. Listen to this verse here about, from the Apostle Paul. He, he really lists like four different types of suffering that we could possibly go through. He said, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And that's like, you know, mental, mental suffering, emotional suffering, spiritual suffering, and physical suffering. And so either one of those, any and all of those, we could, could happen to us. We could all go through something that's just mentally terrible on us or something that's emotionally terrible on us or, or we could literally be tortured we could be like those people in mozambique or people in china you know being arrested just because they believe something actually the apostle paul val- validated his apostleship not just through signs and wonders and miracles but through all the hardships y'all and all the experiences that he went through you can see that in second corinthians 11:17 through 34 he validated who he was and all the trouble he went through not just the power of god that rested on him you see, we want to validate ourselves and make ourselves something with the anointing or how our blessings or, or the prosperity that God's gives us, forgetting this whole other side that the Bible does not forget. That the Bible throws it in our face and says, you're going to drink this cup, and this cup of blessing is also a cup of suffering. That's the cup that Jesus drank in the garden. And we as believers must drink that cup. Because we have people all over the world who, are, who have drank it or are going to drink it. I grew up in a time where East, East, uh, Eastern Europe was under communist rule. And people were tortured in Eastern Europe, East Germany. Tortured. Tortured, imprisoned. That was back in the 60s. In early 70s, this was going on. I know for some of y'all that was eons ago, but for me, I was alive then. I remember when President Kennedy was shot and killed. And while that was happening in America, there was people that were being tortured scandalously in communist prisons. And that's why there's such a pushback about all this socialism from my generation. is because we see the outcome of socialism. We see where it could lead to. And socialism is definitely anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-Christianity. It is definitely it's stated. There's no question about it. Read it. Read Marx's Marx stuff. Read it. Get informed. But I don't know. I'm just saying that. That's one of the reasons I, I have a big issue about socialism. Because I remember... I remember Richard Rumbach coming and sharing with us. I remember Richard Rumbach, who spent, I think, 12 years in Romanian prison. I'm, hmm, 15. This is one of the stories he told. They put him in isolation, and the guards wore felt on their shoes so they couldn't hear nothing. And he said, eventually, even the voices inside your head stopped. They did it to drive him crazy. At one point he said he was so tortured and they used drugs that he couldn't even remember the Lord's Prayer. He just said, I can't remember it no more. And he said, God, just assign an angel to pray it for me. That was how tortured he was. The man came and he couldn't stand very long because of the torture. They had beat him on the bottom of his feet so much. He he just couldn't stand. He had to sit. And I was a very young Christian listening to all this thinking... I don't really understand this. I don't really get this, but there's something this guy's got that nobody else carries. And so what we have to realize is there's people who have died for Christ. There's people who are being tortured today. 
you know, that Romans 16, I've shared it with you over and over, how the Lord spoke to me. I think there's 30-something people in there that Paul mentions in Romans 16. Different names, different moms, different dads, different friends. And, and according to church history, every one of those people were martyred for Christ. Every one of them. Every one of them. Me, when I read it and realized it, it just broke my heart. Because I realized we had this legacy behind us. And we take it for granted. And we're trite and we're surfacy. But there's people who went before us that literally gave it all. And there's people over in Mozambique that they have watched their babies be chopped up. I can't imagine. I would go crazy if somebody hurt one of my grandkids. I don't, you know, I just can't imagine what I would do. I mean, because I love them so much. Anyways, that was really something. Here's what I read. I wrote this down. We often misread why we're suffering. Okay? We often misread it. We can think there's something wrong with us. That God's disappointed in us. Or God is angry. Or God's mean. I tell you, I found in my own suffering, when we went through all this stuff years ago, I had, a, I had a person come to me. A person had been in a part of church for years. And said, Byron, there's something wrong with you. You have caused this. That's what they said to me. I'm thinking, I didn't cause this. <laughs> yeah, it was a Job's friend. That's all right. I didn't cause. I didn't tell him that. I just kept my mouth shut because at that point I was suffering and I was just gonna keep my mouth shut. And I did ask the Lord about that. If I cause it, Lord, I'm good for you to tell me I caused it, and I can we can t- to take care of it. But I ain't thinking I caused this. So you see, people don't understand suffering. They don't understand. That, that people go through suffering. The church will go through suffering. Local churches will suffer. They will go through seasons of brokenness and loss. They will and you will. And if you want God more, you'll have to walk through those seasons. You will have to give up something. You will have to be broken yourself. You're going to have to experience pain. This is not the American gospel, is it? But there is a shame, because I know that shame really well. I know that shame of feeling like a failure. I know that shame of feeling like there's something wrong with me. Why did this happen? Why didn't God do this? Why won't he hear? Why won't he help? There's something bad about me that's caused God to pull away from me. All those thoughts, all those feelings running through my heart and mind. And I think many people do. You get a divorce or something back to your kid or, or you get fired or some crazy thing happens to you. You start feeling all this stuff. You start questioning it because we don't always understand why things happen. Even Jesus on the cross asked the Lord, why did you forsake me? Because he felt it. He felt the darkness. It's a natural question for people who feel into the dark and wonder where God is. And he did that for us to let us know that there's a place where you may feel God has forsaken you. But you have to believe that he will never leave you or forsake you. You have to believe what the word of God says. You have to believe truth and take that truth no matter how your, what your circumstances are telling you. What happens to a woman who loses her husband or a kid who loses their dad young? Their dad's gone. Or, or parents who lose a teenage child or, or parents who lose a baby. What happens to them? As they go through all this, that's suffering, y'all. It may not be they're getting their heads chopped off, but they're still suffering. And it's a part of this world we live in. It's a part of this fallen world, this broken world. Whenever there's suffering, there's a battle, a battle for your soul. I just want to say that. I promise you those people in Smyrna, there was a battle for their soul every day they woke up. Every day they woke up and realized we don't have food. We're going to go scrounge around, go kill something to eat, and hopefully we don't get caught out in the open by the Romans. Every day. There's a battle over your soul, and the devil knows it. The book of Job chapter 2, and I don't really love that book always, but yeah, there's some good stuff in it. The book of Job chapter 2, 9 through 10, shows us two ways to respond to suffering. One, curse God. That's what it says. Curse him. 
I ain't from heck with you, God, if this is the way it is. What kind of God is this to let people die? What kind of God lets these babies starve to death? What kind of God lets these pastors who poured their life out over there let their baby's head be chopped off and they had to go look for their head, go look for their hands to bury the baby? You know, we could curse God on things like that. And you could understand to some degree why people would do that. I mean, I, I get it. Or we can, the other thing is praise God in our suffering. And the Apostle Paul affirmed the choice of praise in Colossians 1, 24. This is what he says. I now rejoice in my suffering for you. I now rejoice in my suffering for you. You see, he made a choice. See, it wasn't like, oh, I feel moved by the Spirit to praise the Lord. No, he just made a choice to rejoice. He made a choice for joy. Okay, it's because joy is real. Joy is something that, that gets us through. Um, yeah, man, it really does. So we live in the tension, I believe. This is what I believe we live in. And I think a lot of what we are grappling with in our country, and the church is grappling with, there's a tension between suffering and joy. Okay, we live in this tension. Okay. We don't like what's happening in our country. We don't like how we've been, we feel like we're being treated. We don't like what we see coming at us. It doesn't feel good, okay? But if we're not careful, we're going to become these heavy, bad people. Are y'all hearing me? We're going to be all heavy all the time because we feed ourselves with heavy stuff all the time. We've got to stop that. We've got to feed ourselves with, you know, and I'm as guilty as everybody in this room because the Holy Spirit told me, you need, you, need to, you need to be operating in joy, son. Joy is, is where you need to be. You don't need to throw heaviness around. You need to, you need to be full of joy. This is uh, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's Nehemiah. And the joy, see, if you don't have joy, you don't have strength. If you don't have strength today, it's because your joy is not there. You, your joy is somehow quenched in your life. It doesn't mean we ignore what the bad things, but the bad things shouldn't be our major. I think we need to minister out of joy. I think that's what I'm looking for in my life. And I'll be honest with you, I've never done that. I've never, that's never been like the thing for me. But I've realized the kingdom of God is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So a third of what I do in my life has to be about joy. You know, the other third has to be about peace, and the other third has to be about righteousness. That's what, how the kingdom works. That's how it flows. That's how it moves. And when we're not flowing in righteousness, peace, and joy, we're not flowing in the kingdom of God. That's Romans 14, 17, by the way. And it also says, by the way, Romans 14 says, it's not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not something that you eat and put into you, but it's something that comes out of you. That's why he used the analogy of eating and drinking. It's something that flows out of the inside of you because the kingdom of God is inside of you and you have a responsibility to release the kingdom. You, the worship team doesn't have a responsibility for your kingdom experience. The preachers don't. Your counselors don't. Your spouse doesn't. Your family doesn't. You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to re release Christ in you, the hope of glory out of you. And see, that's how he gets into the world is through us. Through us releasing him. But if we're walking around all heavy all the time, all burdened all the time, how's he going to be released? He's not. Are y'all good? Yeah. I'm not. Mm. Here's some things about joy I wanted to just say, and I'm preaching to myself. Joy, and I'm going to be done here in a couple minutes. Hey, wasn't that guy, well, man, wasn't Nate good last Sunday? I forgot. I let, he's at chapter day. I was kind of jealous he was up there. I think, I'm, can I go listen to him again? If you weren't, didn't listen to his message, please listen to his message. That guy is, a, he's 35 years old, y'all. 35. I'm thinking, good Lord, 35? When I was 35, I was fighting all these bad sins all the time. I had nowhere near the revelation that guy has when I was 35 years old. He, that guy walks in revelation. He got a spirit of revelation working on him. I mean, well, all the stuff he said in that message was revelatory. It was powerful, man. I mean, I loved it. He's an interesting human being. 
Uh, joy was, the, listen to this. This is where the Lord got me. John 15, 11 says, The joy was the aim of all of Jesus' teachings. That's what he was shooting for. He wasn't shooting for repentance. He was shooting for joy. He was wanting to release joy to the people because the people were so burdened and beaten. And I'll tell you, when you get the joy, some stuff, good stuff will happen. You'll start repenting, I believe. Uh, joy is central to Jesus' nature. That's Hebrews 1, 9. It's central to who he is. He's been anointed with the oil of joy above his fellows. That means above everybody else. He's got this anointing on him of joy. Isn't that powerful? I love that. Joy is a, fruit, is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. So this fruit is something the Holy Spirit does in you. It's something He creates in you. Something You don't have to create joy. You don't have to make joy happen, okay? All you've got to do is bear it, right? The apple tree bears the apple. We just bear it. We Bear it, mean, and I'm not talking about bear it like, oh. I'm talking about bear it. We're, we're not making it happen. We're letting it happen. We're allowing it to happen. And then we just carry it around. Isn't that beautiful? And the anointing of the Holy Spirit releases joy. That's Isaiah 16. The anointing of the Holy Spirit releases joy. I think that's amazing. I wanted to finish and I want to read this about, about joy that was written by Roland Baker, Holly Baker's husband. Okay, and if you don't know about uh, them, look up Iris, I-R-I-S, like Iris of the I Ministries, and you can find out a lot about their ministry. It's pretty powerful, but... They're broken, man. I've never seen that. I watched that interview. I had never seen Heidi Baker. I've watched, we've seen her preach. We've, you know, she's a very uh, wild, crazy woman. I mean, she, you know, she'll lay on the floor and preach, just overcome by the Spirit. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Uh, such a fruitful, powerful ministry they have all over the world, really. I mean, I mean, it's worldwide. But she was absolutely destroyed, broken. Absolutely destroyed. I've never seen so much broken. Randy Clark was fighting tears through the whole thing because he felt what she was feeling, what she saw over all the pain. And her whole thing was, this is part of it. We get to drink both. We get to drink the suffering and the joy. They go together. That's what she was saying. In fact, this is one of the things they said. That she said, she said, a lot of the pastors over there in the middle of their grieving and anguish were overcome by the Spirit of God and, and got into holy laughter. And we're just, and it was just like confusing, almost confusing, because on the one hand, you're suffering beyond measure, but the on, on the other hand, the Spirit of God comes on you and releases this powerful joy in you that actually gives you the strength to get through the hell you're walking through. Isn't that powerful? We would never, in America, you could never do that, right? That'd be something to you if you were grieving like that and all of a sudden you went into holy laughter. You'd be keeped to the curb. But this is something Roland Baker said. I know a lot of people have issues about that laughter stuff, but to me, that proves, proves it to me. Like when I heard it, I was like, yeah, but I didn't need proving. You know, yeah, laughter is the best medicine. Let me finish here and say this. My last, when I first experienced that laughter, this is back in the 90s. This is what I was experiencing. I got, to, we went to a Rodney Howard Brown thing. You know, he was sort of the kingpin back in those days. And I wound, he prayed for me. I went up on the floor, slain in the spirit. I didn't know how, you know, it was one of those deals. Next thing you knew on the floor, like, how did I get here? But then all of a sudden, I started seeing these people. And when I see them, I'd bust out laughing. It was ridiculous, like, and I was at first trying to like call stupid, but guess who the people were? They were people that had wronged me or hurt me or said bad things to me. And at that moment, I mean, there was probably a half a dozen or so, God was releasing me. I was forgiving. I was blessing. And this joy was just flowing through. I got up off that floor, and I didn't even think about those people. I wasn't sitting around in their, my little brain thinking how bad they were. But I got off, that, got off off that floor like a thousand tons had been taken off my chest. I had gotten completely free of unforgiveness and bitterness and anger towards people who had genuinely done me wrong. And it was because of the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? The joy of the Lord is everything, y'all. This is what got those people back in Smyrna. It had to be the thing that got them through. 
the joy, this is what Roland said. I'm going to stop here. The joy of the Lord is not optional and far outweighs our suffering. Far outweighs our suffering. In Jesus, it becomes our motivation, reward, and spiritual weapon. In his presence is fullness of joy. And with Paul, we testify that in all our troubles, our joy knows no bounds. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. It is our strength and energy without which we die. Isn't that powerful? That is very powerful. And I believe the Lord wants a joyful church in this time. Okay? I believe He does. I believe the, we have to face the persecution, but I think the joy is going to be our weapon to get through it. And I'm asking the Lord on, just on me, little me, to become more of a joyful person, just to have more joy. Literally, this is how it happened. It, one Sunday morning, I'm driving to church, and I go through my conniption fits going to church. All of a sudden, my stomach feels messed up. I feel real tight on the inside. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got to go preach. I don't want to do this. I hate this. What if the Holy Spirit doesn't help me? I'm just going to be hung out the dr- I'm going to be hung over hell on a rotten stick. That's the way I feel. This is going to be terrible. And the Lord said, what about the joy? He's interrupting my stupid thoughts. What about the joy of the Lord? Where's the joy? Where's your joy, son? Where is it? Why are you worried about falling into hell with a rotten stick when you have joy? Joy is what's going to get you through this. Joy is going to get the church through all our troubles and all our sorrows that we will suffer. We will suffer and we will go down hurt and it'll be painful and it'll be hurtful to us. But the joy of the Lord is going to be the thing that gets us through. And if the Lord chooses us to deliver deliver us out of them, then amen. If he chooses us to go on and be with him, then it'll be an amen there. I know that's hard for us to say that, but yeah. Okay. So let's stand up and, you know. So I was hoping I could kind of redeem all this bad thinking, you know, all this, all this suffering talk. Yeah, Bible's full of suffering, y'all, but the Bible's more full of joy. You know, Jesus suffered, but he has joy. And I want you today, if you're a person who's suffering, hey, if you're a person who's suffering, would you come up front here? We're going to just pray over you. We're going to have the whole church pray for you. If you're suffering, come up here and just stand. Don't be, all right, come on. Anybody else, if you have this thing happening in your life where you just, you're suffering, it doesn't, it can be a little thing. It, it doesn't matter, y'all. If you're suffering and you're a, a believer, you are, you're in good company. You're in good company, honestly. We've suffered. Come on up here, stand across the front. And we want the whole church to pray for you because you need, you need help. Anybody else? One guy said to me recently, I sh- no, I should have come up there, but I just couldn't. I wouldn't. Don't be that guy. You know, I believe we're in a time for prayers to be answered. And I can't promise you that God is going to deliver you out of your suffering. Lots of times he delivers us in our suffering. Okay, do you all understand that? He, lots of times in it, in the, in the middle of it, God does something in you that's profound instead of getting you out of it. But that's up to God. I would be, I will tell you this, I'm always asking, get me out. I want out of this. I don't want to, I ain't hanging out. I'm not asking for suffering. But Lord, if you choose not to get me out, I'm still going to follow you. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to care about you. And I'm going to go, I'm still going to fulfill what you've done, asked me to do on this earth in the best I can. So that's not my issue. But if you can deliver me out of this, that would make me really happy. So I would like some, all right, anybody else will get another minute. Anybody else just suffering this morning? Because this is important, y'all. You know, we're gonna ask, we ask the Lord, we have an open heaven for answered prayer. So I'd like for people who have this thing in them that would love to come and lay hands on a suffering brother or sister and ask the Lord to really do what only he could do. Let's make sure everybody's got somebody laying hands on them. And I want you to just give them love. Don't give them some ridiculous counsel. Give them love. Give them empathy. Give them compassion. If the compassion of the Lord rises up inside of you, release it to them. And cough. If it's the devil doing it, we can declare the devil's causing this. The Lord doesn't cause suffering. The devil does. But the Lord will certainly use it in your life. 
And Father, right now, for every person up here that's suffering, Lord, we're calling out for heaven. That open heaven we felt this morning, we ask you, I believe it's real, and I ask you right now, Lord, I ask you to do what only you can do. Lord, at least as a minimum, Lord, I pray for joy to come. I pray for the strength of God to come on these people who are suffering right now in the name of Jesus. We declare that over them, Lord. We decree the joy of the Lord is our strength. We just we speak it to them. Joy come down. Fill their hearts, Lord. Fill their hearts, Lord, with your joy. Fill their hearts. Anoint them with joy. Lord, you're the anointed one. And let that joy, let that oil that's on you drip down from heaven right now on the, your people, on the, your children, on your sons, and on your daughters. Just release it right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we break off every curse. We break off shame. We break off disappointment off of them. If they have messed up and caused this suffering, we're, they're forgiven. They're released today, Lord. We declare that in the name of Jesus. We declare in the name of Jesus. Keep praying, y'all. And just release on them. Oh, yes, Lord. Power of God come right now. We ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to come down now on your people. Power come, anointing come, mm. joy come. Lord, we ask for a spirit of breakthrough. That spirit of breakthrough come and get them out of this mess. Get them out of their suffering, Lord. We're asking you, Lord. We don't want them to keep suffering. We want them to get free, Lord. We want a breakthrough. We want to see breakthrough. We want to see answers, Lord. We asking you, Lord. You're the Father. These are your children. They belong to you. Free them today, Lord. Free them, Lord Jesus. Yeah. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Let more of that oil off in Jesus. Hmm. Mm. Woo, yes, Lord. Yeah. Years ago, Jack Hayford, a mighty, a mighty four-square father, saw a vision of Jesus standing up. And when he saw him stand up, he saw this puddle of oil in his lap. And when he stood up, that oil got released into the earth. And Lord, that's the oil of joy. And that was right before the Toronto blessing and all that happened. Release it afresh on your people who are suffering, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord.